Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. We're so glad that you're joining us to listen to this message. Whoever you are and wherever you're listening from, we trust that you'll be equipped, envisioned and encouraged as you listen today. together as we come to the word. Father, we thank you for your presence among us. How blessed it is to know that we meet with you here, that you're here by your spirit, you're at work among us. And Holy Spirit, I just pray that you will open our eyes, our ears, our hearts, our spirits to receive the revelation you're going to bring through your word this morning. We thank you that your word brings life. It is active. It changes us. So come Holy Spirit now and just um, bring revelation that will change us from this moment on that we can live in every day. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Great, so you'll know, because most of you have been here before, that we've been looking at a series called The Cross and the Crown uh, for a few months. Um, And different people have shared different aspects of that. We've been all, all over the place in the Bible looking at the wonder of the cross and the crown. And I'm going to share something that's on my heart about that today. Um, A word of faith, a word that I believe God wants us to hear and receive this morning. Um, And uh, so that's why I'm standing here, really. (laughs) Um, My job today, I don't think, is to, well, it's not, um, to to teach the detail, to uh, expound everything. But I just want to bring you what the Spirit is stirring my heart with this morning. And I trust it will stir you too. Um, so we've been looking at, one of the things we've looked at is signposts to the cross. We've thought a little bit about Moses and how his life was a signpost to Jesus' life. We talked about Passover. We talked about the blood on the doorposts. We talked about that pointing us to the cross. And um, the thing that's on my heart for this morning started um, probably when um, David shared right at the beginning that the work of Jesus on the cross is far more um, than the forgiveness of my sin. Oh, that blew me away. <laughs> I'm very used to hearing that my sin is dealt with on the cross. And amen, hallelujah, it is. But there's far more for us there. And um, I was also really comforted by the fact that David said that if we were to you know, spend all our time looking at it, we would never grasp the fullness. So it's great. I haven't got to do it all this morning. But there are some things here for us to grasp and take hold of. Um, And we're going to start to look at at the sacrifices. So if we think about the nation of Israel, the Passover, they came through the Red Sea. God rescued them from Egypt for the purpose to worship him. He said to Pharaoh, let my people go that they may worship me. And they come out of Egypt. They come to a place called Mount Sinai where God had promised Moses that the people would worship him there. And when they get there, It's maybe not quite as straightforward as 
we might have thought it would be. And I just want to read a couple of verses from Exodus uh, chapter 19. You can look at them if uh, you would like to. And we're just going to read verses 4 to 6, because this is what God has in mind for his people. He says, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on earth. For all the earth belongs to me. And you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. Well, so God had in mind the nation of Israel to be his own special people, to worship him, to be treasured above all other nations. But it wasn't as simple for them to come and do that. And God gave Moses instructions for a tabernacle to be built, an elaborate um, tent that God came and dwelt in by his presence. And it says of that place that Moses could no longer go in and in the tabernacle because the glory of the Lord fell on the tabernacle and the presence of God was there. So how was it going to be then that the people could worship God, like he'd said? And God then told Moses about the way that that would happen. It would happen through sacrifice. It would happen through the priesthood that he was going to put in Israel. And all of that is a wonderful symbol as we look to the cross. And we're going to look at Leviticus um, we're going to start in chapter 1 um, and take some points from this. But all the time, I want our thoughts and minds to be on the cross. Because what we read here will help us to see something of the fullness and the breadth of the cross. And then we're going to look, um, in part, at the superior sacrifice of Christ on the cross and what that is to us. So let's um, turn to Leviticus 1. Um, help if I turn there to you. And I'm just going to read the first few verses of Leviticus 1. So this is God describing to Moses the instructions for the burnt offering sacrifice. And it says, The Lord called to Moses from the tabernacle and said to him, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. When you present an animal as an offering to the Lord, you may take it from your herd of cattle or your flock of sheep and goats. If the animal you present as a burnt offering is from the herd, it must be a male with no defects. Bring it to the entrance of the tabernacle so you may be accepted by the Lord. Lay your hand on the animal's head and the Lord will accept its death in your place to purify you, making you right with him. Then slaughter the young bull in the Lord's presence and Aaron's sons, the priests, will present the animal's blood by splattering it against all the sides of the altar that stands at the entrance to the tabernacle. Then skin the animal and cut it into pieces. The sons of Aaron, the priests, will build a wood fire on the altar. They will arrange the pieces of the offering, including the head and fat on the wood burning on the altar. But the internal organs and the legs must first be washed with water. Then the priest will burn the entire sacrifice on the altar as a burnt offering. It is a special gift, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. This was um, an offering. It was a male animal. It was spotless. It was the best that they had. They were to bring as a burnt offering that was going to be wholly burnt up before the Lord. It was a pleasing aroma to God. And it says in the word there that the, the reason it was being offered was so that the, the person could be accepted by God. 
it was going to purify them. The, the death of the animal was going to be in their place. In some of your um, scriptures or translations, it might say it's going to make atonement. And the idea behind that was that this sacrifice was going to be something that would bring people into right relationship with God. It was going to uh, renew their relationship with them. It was going to make them what we call right with God. It was going to bring them into a place where they could worship God. It was a really sacred offering. And it says elsewhere in Leviticus, it was burnt in the morning and the night. The fire of the altar was never allowed to go out. This continual sacrifice of this perfect um, male animal was brought so that the people could be brought into right relationship with God. Is it ringing any bells? Let's look at the next one, um, because I don't want to spend too long on this. I want to get to the really good things. But um, this is good. So Leviticus 2, there was another offering called the grain offering, verses 1 to 3. And this had the, the word there, grain offering, actually means a present, a gift. It was something that was brought to show the worship of the offerer to God. It was always brought with the burnt offering, and the burnt offering was brought first. So first... The burnt offering had to make atonement, had to put them in a right place with God, and the people could bring the grain offering. And let's just read what it says about that. Chapter 2, verse 1 to 3. When you present grain as an offering to the Lord, the offering must consist of choice flour. You were to pour olive oil on it, sprinkle it with frankincense, and bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests. The priest will scoop out a handful of the flour moistened with oil, together with all the frankincense, and burn this representative portion on the altar. It is a special gift, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. The rest of the grain offering will then be given to Aaron and his sons. This offering will be considered a most holy part of the special gifts presented to the Lord. The choicest flour, the best that there was. It was to be mixed with olive oil, and that that was used for many things in Israel. It signified the blessing, the produce of the land that God had given to them that was used for many purposes. The frankincense, that was a really sweet-smelling um, tree resin all mixed in, and a part of that was offered to God. A really interesting thing about that was that this was brought by the people to God, but only a part of it was offered to him. The rest of it actually was given to Aaron and his, the priests and his sons to eat as their food. I'm going to come back to that later. People would bring it as saying thanks to God. They would bring it to fulfill a vow. They would bring it voluntarily just to come into his presence and worship him after the burnt offering. Let's look at the next offering, the peace offering in Leviticus 3, verse 1 to 5. If you present an animal from the herd as a peace offering to the Lord, it may be a male or female, but it must have no defects. Lay your hand on the animal's head and slaughter it at the entrance of the tabernacle. Then Aaron's sons, the priests, will splatter its blood against all sides of the altar. The priest must present part of this peace offering as a special gift to the Lord. This includes all the fat around the internal organs, the two kidneys, and the fat around them near the loins and the long lobe of the liver. These must be removed with the kidneys, and Aaron's son will burn them on top of the burnt offering. On the wood burning on the altar, it is a special gift, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. 
So you have there the, the burnt offering, the whole sacrifice burned up to make atonement, to bring right relationship, the grain offering expressing worship, dedication to God, and the peace offering that was brought. Another animal that was perfect with no fault, no defect was brought and its blood was shed at the altar. One of the things you might have noticed there and the same in the burnt offering is that the instruction was to put your hand on the animal's head and that had real significance. It identified the person bringing the offering with the animal whose life was to be taken, whose blood was shed, who was in the place, if you like, of the person bringing the offering. It showed um, a real connection there between the two. Um, the, um, the rest of the peace offering could be eaten, a bit like the grain offering. It was offered to the priests and their families. And actually, um, on occasions, the whole family of the person who brought it. This was a fellowship meal. There was something wonderful here about coming together in the presence of God, in right relationship with him and enjoying a feast together. The next offering um, that's written about in Leviticus, I'm not going to read all the detail of it, it but it was an offering for sin. Um, and that perhaps, again, rings lots of bells when we think about the cross. It was an offering bought when people realized they had sinned, whether it was unintentional, and they brought it to atone for their sin. Um, it was a, an animal that was perfect. The blood was shed. Their hands were laid on the head, identifying them with a sacrifice. And um, it says uh, in chapter four that that was um, really important. It says that through this process, the priest will purify the people, making them right with the Lord, and they will be forgiven. So here we read of forgiveness, of rightness with God, of that right relationship being enjoyed. And um, there are other sacrifices. There are other laws in Leviticus. All this was given so that people could come into right relationship with God. But it was all pointing to the cross. And um, it's at the cross that we see a little bit more um, because the sacrifice of Jesus was not the sacrifice of an animal. It was a much, much more superior sacrifice. And there are a few things I'd like to, us to explore as we look at that. Four things. And the first is this, the superiority, superiority of Christ's sacrifice. Let's look at the lamb. So in the Old Testament, you had a bull or a lamb or a sheep or a goat, a male, perfect. But here we have the Lamb of God. When John the Baptist saw Jesus coming, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This was not the best animal of the flock. It was God's own son. In 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 9, it says this, The ransom God paid was not mere gold or silver. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. If the burnt offering brought was the best of the flock, how much more Jesus, our sacrifice, perfect, sinless, spotless, God and man, presented by God as a sacrifice for our sin. How wonderful. What we have in, in, God's in the sacrifice of Jesus is just incomparable. Can't begin to, I suppose, talk of the wonder of it. 
two other things um, together of the superiority of Christ's sacrifice. The frequency of it and the totality of it. Um, and there are some verses in Hebrews um, that help us to understand this a little bit more. So I'm going to look at these and I do turn to them as well. Some really key chapters in Hebrews that talk more about the sacrifices, talk about the priesthood, talk about what um, Jesus has done. And uh, I'm just going to read chapter 10, verses 1 to 3. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped, for the worshippers would have been purified once for all time, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. In the Old Testament, time and again, the sacrifices was brought, were brought. The altar fire was never um, allowed to go out. There was a constant need to, um, to, to bring a sacrifice to God, to make amends, to atone for your sin. Constantly, the people must have been reminded of how far short they, they had fallen um, from God's standard. But not so with the sacrifice of Jesus. Here we have one sacrifice offered once for all people for all time. Um, we just sang in that last song that there will never be another sacrifice. That's so wonderful. Because what Christ did at the cross was far more superior. The blood of the bulls and goats didn't save people from their sins. It pointed to the work of the cross. But Christ has done it all. And if we look at, just flick maybe back on the page, but to Hebrews 9 verse 11. We read uh, these words. So Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. In that last verse, we read uh, Hebrews 10, that, that the Old Testament uh, laws and the sacrifices were not the good things. But now we read that in Christ, the good things have come. That's what Christ has secured for us in his sacrifice. He has entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of this created world. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. Wonderful. One sacrifice offered once for all time, for all people. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. The third thing I'd like us just to consider is the fullness of Christ's sacrifice. So we only read a few verses in Leviticus, but you get the picture that there was a sacrifice for this, a sacrifice for that, an offering for the other. There were rules and laws by which you um, could approach God. There were times and reasons why you couldn't approach God and you were unclean and you had to bring sacrifices and be cleansed. But the fullness of Christ's sacrifice is that he's dealt with all of that and far more in one sacrifice offered once for all time for all people. There's a fullness in this that I believe we barely scratch the surface off. But let's look at some verses that help us to understand this. Um, we're going to turn to Romans 5 for that. Um, so if you're happy to have a look at that, let's do that together and read the word together. 
Romans 5, and we're going to start at verse 1. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Verse 9. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in a wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. How wonderful. In those verses, we read of being made right, of having a restored relationship with God, of having a friendship with God, of not being under condemnation. And when we uh, look at the fullness of the sacrifice of Christ, that's what we see, that because of Jesus, we are made right. We are given the gift of righteousness. There is nothing separating us from God because of the sacrifice of Christ. We have a restored, wonderful relationship with him, a friendship with God. How wonderful. Forgiveness. Our sin has been dealt with because, as it says in Romans 3, God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. It says that people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ because of what Jesus has done on the cross. We have freedom from death, from sin, from evil, from, from the law of regulations in the Old Testament. It's all been superseded by the work of Christ. And we have that in fullness because of Christ. And it's really important to stop there and just say, um, just to check with ourselves, is that something I know? Do I know that relationship with God? Do I know that because of what Jesus has done, there is nothing that needs to separate me from God? Have I come, and as it says in that verse, been made right with God because I've believed that Jesus is a sacrifice for my sin? There are no hoops to jump through. There are no rules to keep. The sacrifice of Jesus is free. Um, and if there's any doubt in your mind, we would love to. I would love to speak to you and pray with you afterwards. Because it says that um, if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we come immediately into that relationship with God. Wonderful. When we talked about the grain offering, we said it was uh, an offering, a gift, a present towards God. It expressed worship. And it, because of the sacrifice of Christ, we can come right in to worship God fully. There is nothing that needs to inhibit us. We don't need to linger outside the door of heaven, the door of the tabernacle. There's no curtain in the tabernacle separating us. We can come right in with worship. And worship is such an important thing 
that, that that's what we've been made for, created for. That was God's purpose for his people to come and worship him. And there's nothing that need hold us back, no hindrances, no boundaries. Let's uh, have a look still in Hebrews chapter 10. Sorry, we'd flip back to Romans, so I had anyway. Let's go back to Hebrews chapter 10, because we can't possibly not read these verses. Um, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him for our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. And our bodies have been washed with pure water. We can go boldly right into the presence of God to worship him. That's what Jesus' sacrifice has um, enabled us to do. Another thing I just want us to look at is peace. And I'm so pleased that um, Stephen started with some verses in Colossians. We'll turn there in a bit. But when we talked about the peace offering, and that was the third one we mentioned. But, you know, peace in the Old Testament was perhaps more than we sometimes think about it. You may have heard the term or the phrase or the greeting shalom that's used a lot by um, Jewish people. And shalom was the Old Testament concept of peace. But it was far more than a greeting. It was far more than a warm, smiley feeling inside. It was far more than the absence of conflict the absence of arguments or um, anything like that. It had within the meaning of it a sense of wholeness, of well-being, of being secure, of being safe, of being sound, of everything being right in, it, in its right place, of every provision being met, of peace with yourself, of peace with other people, of peace with God, of peace with his world that he's made. A far-ranging peace. And that's what we have in Christ. So if we just look back, oh, I'll turn to it. Um, those verses in Colossians 1. Because this is how we can know peace. This is how we receive peace. Um, it says in verse 20 that through Christ, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with heaven, with everything in heaven and on earth. By means of Christ's blood on the cross, this includes you. It includes me, includes you, includes all of us. In Christ, there is peace. And it's a wide-ranging peace that has been bought for us by the blood of Christ. Um, and when I was preparing this, I just I couldn't stop really thinking about Isaiah 53. Because there's concepts in it that we read there when it's describing the sufferings and the um, death of Christ that are so important and are so um, help us to see the fullness. Um, it's Isaiah 53 verses 4 and 5 particularly I want to look at because um, part of this um, idea of peace, of wellness, of wholeness, of well-being includes healing. And in Isaiah 53, we see the prophet 
describing all of these things in Christ's sacrifice, that sin is dealt with, that peace is ours, that healing has been secured by Christ's suffering. I'm just going to read those verses. It says in Isaiah 53, verse 4, yet it was our weaknesses he carried, our sorrows that weighed him down. Those words describe and mean sickness and disease and suffering. They've been carried, ours have been carried by Christ on the cross. It actually happened. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sin. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sin. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. In Christ's sacrifice, it's all been dealt with. Our sin, our separation from God, the provision for peace, the provision for healing, the provision for pain and suffering has all been dealt with on the cross. There isn't another work for Christ to do on that. He's done it. He declared it finished. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Um, and the last thing that I wanted just to consider, um, thinking about... Um, the superiority of Christ's sacrifice and the fullness of that sacrifice is the feast. And I'd like us just to flick back to the Old Testament again to read some verses we didn't read before from Numbers because in Numbers there were further instructions and explanations to do with some of the sacrifices. And there's some verses here that um, I think are really important. We talked about earlier how with the grain offering and the peace offering, the priests were able to eat the sacrifices. That took me a while to accept that. These sacrifices brought by the people for God, then God says, you, you eat them. They're your provision. And uh, in Numbers 18, verse 19, this is what God says to uh, the priests. He says, yes, I'm giving you all these holy offerings that the people of Israel bring to the Lord. They are for you and your sons and daughters to be eaten as your permanent share. This is an eternal and unbreakable covenant between the Lord and you. And it also applies to your descendants. Under the new covenant, because of the blood of Christ, we are all priests we all come right into the presence of God. We all worship him. We have right relationship with him. And I believe this instruction, there is something in that really important for us to consider today and to really take in. That the, the full provision of what Jesus did on the cross is something that is our daily provision. It's meat to eat. It's something for us to take in and live out every day. It's not just something to know about and understand with our minds and say, yes, I know that's happened. I believe that. It's something to walk in by faith every day. There's a feast prepared for us in what Christ has done. Um, there's that verse in Psalm 23 that says, you have prepared a table for me in the presence of my enemies. That table is at the cross of Christ. The food of that table is everything that Jesus accomplished on the cross for us. 
And it's something for us to eat from today and every day. It's the full provision. You know, we sometimes sing in songs about God being our portion. And that I think sometimes that can be misleading. Because if you think of a portion, you think of a cake being sliced up and you get a bit. And when it's gone, it's gone. That's not how it is with God. He is our full portion. Everything he has um, for us is given to us. We don't get a share. It's not that it's shared out between us. We all get everything in fullness. And it, when we look at the sacrifice of Christ, this is something for us to take day by day. Um, to know day by day, today, because of Jesus' sacrifice, I'm right with God. I can come into his presence, know full relationship with him because of what Jesus did. I'm not held back by my past. I'm not held back by sins I've committed in the past. I'm not held back by anything false that's been said over me or that I've heard before. I'm in right relationship with God because of Jesus' sacrifice. My sin has been done away with. And yes, we're told to confess our sins, but he is quick to forgive because the work is already done. So we should be people that by faith take hold of that every day. There is nothing to hold me back. I'm not guilty. I'm not condemned. I live in this place of right relationship with God. We read in um, Hebrews and then in Romans of being in a place of good things, of standing in a place of divine privilege. And that's what we do. It means that daily I enjoy relationship with my father. I can come right in and worship him. There's no reason for me not to worship him. There's no reason for me to stand at the door. There's no reason for me to watch others and think I can't do that. There is nothing in the way because the only reason we worship and can worship Jesus rather is because of his sacrifice that he has already made. We can come right in, fully in. The other thing that we can stand in then every day is to know that today I have peace. Anxiety does not have the right to hold me in its power because I have peace because of the sacrifice of Christ. I have that overwhelming, total well-being peace, the shalom peace because of Jesus Christ. And I think there are times when we experience anxiety and, and things are difficult around us. The, the kind of the facts of the situ situation are that it's difficult and I am anxious. But there's a higher truth that says you have peace. And when Jesus was on the earth, we read in John that just before he was betrayed, he said to his disciples, I give you my peace. I don't give you peace like the world gives it to you. This is my peace. And he was able to do that because he knew he was going to secure that peace on the cross. So we need to take and eat of that every day. We need to make that our verbal confession every day. I have peace. I am in peace today. Not because of my circumstances, but because of the sacrifice that Jesus has already made. And I believe that also applies when we consider healing. 
that in Jesus' sacrifice, there was full provision made for healing. There is no other work for him to do in that. And despite the facts of pain and sickness and illness, the word of God says, by his stripes, I am healed. And there's so much more we could look at on that. And I believe that we will come to that in more detail. That's not for me to bring today. But there's an aspect of hearing Jesus say, come on, take, eat. This is my body. When we take that truth and we confess it and proclaim it and we seek to walk in that. Um, And it's another area where we must believe and confess and make it our stance that there is a truth that's higher than my, my present circumstances. And we look to God for that and we seek him in prayer and we come before him because the sacrifice has been made. I think there's lots for us to think about and dwell on there. And I really feel that um, we need to be just still for a moment and think about the things that we've heard that the Holy Spirit will have laid things on our hearts or has has helped us to see things in a new way, that we need to take and eat of this today and tomorrow and the whole week. Um, I used to think it strange that Paul says in Corinthians that he determined to know nothing among them other than Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ and him crucified. I thought the cross of Christ is an awful thing. It's a place of death and suffering and That was my fault because I've sinned. But I think when we see the fullness of what Christ has provided for us, we see the feast prepared for us. We receive the instruction to take and eat. Then we start to see something, I think, of what Paul meant. Because everything we have, everything we need is provided for us because of the cross of Christ. The superior sacrifice. The one sacrifice offered once for all time, for all people. Thank you, Lord. Shall we just be still for a moment? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Words can't possibly express all that you have accomplished for us on the cross. But I pray, Lord, for us today and as we go forward, that you, by your Holy Spirit, would help us to apply by faith what it is you have won for us. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll give us increased revelation so that day by day we have the power to stand in your truth to stand on what you have said, to stand on what you have accomplished and see strongholds tumble in our lives because, Jesus, you have already completed the work on the cross. Thank you, Lord. Thanks for joining us today. 
There's so much going on at Living Rock Church and we'd love for you to be involved. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching. Visit www.livingrock.church or search for us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram.